Welcome to the I'm Still Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Whitlow. I've been reading and studying the Bible my entire life, but I still have a lot of questions, and I'm still learning what it means. Each episode, we will take a look at what the Bible has to say and what it means to us today. Well, here we are at episode 19. Today, I begin a scripture-by-scripture exploration of the book of Philippians. Paul loved these people, and his desire was that they would continue to grow in Christ so they could understand what really matters in this life. So listen in to this study I call, What Really Matters. In today's study of this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, we're going to look at the first 26 verses of the first chapter of the book of Philippians. My scripture references that I'll read throughout this study will come from the New Living Translation. So if you have a different translation, what you, the words that your translation may show may be different, but the message should still be the same. Let me encourage you, if you want to follow along, you can go to the Bible app and uh, find the New Living uh, Translation there, free of charge. Uh, BibleGateway.com is another great resource where you can find the uh, New Living Translation, and uh, you can read along with what I'm reading. Uh, You can buy a paper copy, obviously, if you want to, but that's not necessary, And it's not necessary that you even listen along, but uh, I wish you would. I think you'll get more out of it. Okay, so let's open up with the first verse, the first word that he says as he opens this letter. He says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Now, this word slaves, especially today, really carries uh, a lot of emotion, a lot of loaded meaning, and rightfully so. So what is a slave? When Paul and Timothy say that they are slaves of Christ Jesus, this doesn't sound like a good thing, because a slave is someone who gets to make no decisions on their own, who follows the will of the master no matter what it is. But if you think about it, Paul and Timothy and all believers in Christ that are truly uh, come under his uh, protection of forgiveness and the life that he has promised us through a relationship with him compels us to turn our will over to Christ, to have him make the decisions, to set the direction for our life. As I was preparing this study, I was reminded of an old song uh, out of the old Melodies of Praise hymnal that we used when I was a boy growing up in the Assembly of God Church, and there was a song called My Wonderful Lord, and uh, pretty tune. I pulled out my copy. I actually have an old copy that's fallen apart. And uh, I was looking at verse number two, and it says, I desire that my life shall be ordered by thee, that my will be in perfect accord with thine own sovereign will, thy desires to fulfill my wonderful, wonderful Lord. 
that is the, the person that wrote this song. That was his desire that his life would be ordered by Jesus, not Jesus making his life work out right, but him turning his life over and trusting Jesus as his wonderful Lord. And that is what Paul and Timothy mean here when they say that they are slaves of Jesus Christ, is they have trusted in this wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to direct their steps, to take them through every challenge, and to lead them through every opportunity. The, uh, the, right, the verse verse continues on. It says, I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. Now, I like this sentence because we think God's holy people. We're thinking about when we think holy, many times we think, okay, that's somebody who's you know really got everything right and they're uh, completely... You know, with without any sort of uh, of sin or any 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 mess in their life, but really that's not what it means here in this in this context, and the way that this is used throughout the Bible when it talks about holy, it means set apart. It's dedicated to. It doesn't really mean that it is something that is absolutely perfect, but it means that it has been set apart. And so he says he is writing to all of God's holy people, the people that call themselves followers of Christ, those who have been set apart from what the rest of the world uh, believes. And this little last part of the sentence really means a lot to me. It says, including the church leaders and deacons. So he is writing this to the people of Philippi, the regular people sitting in the service. And oh yeah, you guys that lead the church, yes, this is for you as well. But the gospel is not just for the leaders. It's not just for pastors and professional uh, ministers. No, the gospel, the holy people, the set-apart folks, are everyone who belong to Christ Jesus. And then his second verses says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So in this first little opening salvo, Paul really sets the, the tone for this letter, that he and Timothy are slaves of Christ Jesus. They have turned their will over to his will for their life, whatever it means, wherever it takes them. And that they are writing this to people that have been set apart because they too have turned their life to Christ. And this is not just a letter to the pastors of the church in Philippi. This is a church, this is a letter to the people, the church. We always say, you know, the church is not the building, the church is the people. But then many times we act like, but the church is the pastors and the ministers and the worship leaders. And that's not the case. The church is everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. And he asked that God would give them grace and peace. So then he starts getting personal here. This, that was his introductory paragraph. But now he is speaking to the people. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Do you know of anyone in your life that whenever you think of them, your immediate response is, thank you, Jesus, that they are in my life. I've got a few people that 
whenever I have the opportunity to talk to them or spend some time with them, I eagerly make time to see them because they are people that have been very meaningful to me, people that have spoken into my life or maybe helped me in a very difficult time. And I give thanks to my God for placing them in my life. And I try to be that for some other people. I don't know if I've achieved that yet. I don't know if there's anybody that when they think of me, they give thanks to God. But I hope that maybe someday I'll achieve that status in someone's life. And then he continues, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. So when he prays, and he's praying his request for their blessing, for their peace, maybe for their health, whatever he's praying for them about, he's praying with joy because these are people that he loves. And you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. People that responded to that message. So many times we try to live our life in a way that uh, attracts attention to Christ and we have that opportunity to share with somebody how Christ has changed our life and what he means to us and how this offer of salvation is available to all. And sometimes people respond to it, sometimes they don't. But those that have responded to it and come to Christ after we have shared that good news with them hold a special place in our life. They're people that we feel an extra responsibility for, people that we, we, that we love because we know that God used us at that moment to be the tipping point for that person in their journey towards Christ to cause them to come into that full salvation with Jesus. And then Paul says to these people, said, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you, and remember, he is giving all the credit to God. God used Paul to bring the message to them, but it was God who saved them. It was God who began the work in them. And he will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So once again, we see when someone comes to Christ that, yes, they are now 100% saved. They are 100% forgiven. They are 100% children of God, but their lives still need work as they go forward, as they grow and mature in their relationship with Christ. And that is a lifelong work. It is a lifelong progress. And it will not actually be finished until we meet Christ. Whether we go to see him at the end of our life or if he comes, returns to take us with him. Let's continue here at verse 7. It says, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. These are people that when that church began, they were anxious to hear the word of God. They were anxious to learn about what God had for them. And they took it to heart and it changed their life. And they became partners with Paul in his ministry. He says, You share with me the special favor of God. Now, this is weird. He says, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to, to the Philippians from prison. He is in a Roman prison, been thrown there because he was been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the religious leaders of the time did not like that message. 
and they thought that they were defending God by persecuting those new believers in Jesus. And so they were part of a new movement, one that was not without controversy, and they shared with him they were still living for Christ, even though they saw what had happened to Paul being thrown into prison. And by them continuing to do that and to continuing to, to love and support Paul and defending and confirming the truth of that gospel, that really put a special place in Paul's heart for them. He says, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I think by now we realize Paul liked these people, that he really, he felt like they kind of confirmed in him the reality of the, salvi- the saving power of Jesus Christ. And he continues, he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. There's never a time when we can say, well, I've got it all knowed up now. We... Uh, I grew up in church with a a guy, we were the same age, and I saw him a few years ago, and he wasn't attending church anymore, and I said, why don't you go? And he goes, oh, I know all those Bible stories. I learned all them when I was a boy, but he was not truly living a life as a slave of Christ Jesus, like Paul is encouraging us to be. This life of Christ is a never-ending, it's an always-growing thing that... um, We continue to learn to grow in knowledge and understanding. What's the difference between knowledge and understanding? Knowledge is knowing a bunch of facts, and understanding is being able to apply them. It's like the old joke. uh, Knowledge lets you know that a tomato is a fruit, and understanding keeps you from putting tomato in a fruit salad. He continues on, For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Understand what really matters. Oh, we get so wrapped up so many times in so many different issues, and we think, oh, this is, this is huge, or this is going to change everything, or this is going to destroy everything if this happens and this happens. But I remember a minister when I was growing up, when a bad thing would happen, maybe in the nation or uh, some bad news would come, he would say, God is still on the throne. Nothing of importance has changed. And as long as we remember that, that God is still on the throne, God's plan will come about the way he wants it to happen. And if we follow him, No matter what we see happen around us, no matter who falls to our right or to our left, no matter what happens in our government, what happens in our world, God is still on the throne. And we have that peace to trust him, that we understand what really matters is our relationship with Christ so that we can live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. And then he says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. What should be the fruit of our salvation? It should be living like Christ, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus, one that is not hateful, one that is not snippy, one that is not moody, but one that is calmly confident. For this will bring much glory 
and praise to God. Now let's move on. Verse 12, he says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Now you would think Paul being thrown into prison would put a halt to the spread of the gospel. But he's saying, no, that everything that's happened to me here has helped to actually spread the good news, to take it even to a larger audience. He says, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Now, this is really powerful when you think of it, because all that Paul had to do to get out of prison and go back to living his life without any strife is to just say, okay, all right, I'll quit preaching this gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll go back to being a Pharisee. I'll go back to, to just you know minding my own business. I will not talk about this anymore. And everybody would have said, okay, fine, go. But he wouldn't. He never backed up because he knew that he was telling the truth. He knew. He had seen it. He had experienced it. He had felt it. Years ago, I heard of a pastor in Romania during the uh, the rule of Nicolae Ceausescu, who was an evil dictator in Romania during years of communist oppression. And there was a great uh, persecution of the church going on at the time. And he was a, a vocal advocate for Christ in what he was talking about, this pastor was. And he was arrested, taken to prison, was beaten, was tortured, and was told over and over again, all you have to do is just recant your testimony. All you have to do is just say, no, this is not true, and we'll let you out. You can go back to your life. We'll, we won't bother you anymore. But he wouldn't do it. One day they came to his prison cell. They blindfolded him. They put him down on his knees, and they pushed a, a gun to the back of his head. They said, okay, take it all back. Recant your testimony right now or we're going to put a bullet right through your brain. And what he said with the calm confidence of someone who knows what is truly, what really matters, he said, the worst thing that you can do to me is to kill me. And the worst thing that I can do to you is to die. And they said, what are you talking about? He goes, when word gets out that I died here in this jail because I would not recant my testimony the people in my church that are praying for me will know that I truly believed this message and their faith will become even stronger. Because if someone is knowingly following a lie and the heat starts getting hot on them, they're not going to die for a lie. But this pastor knew what really mattered. Paul knew what really mattered. He was not going to leave that jail by turning his back on Christ. So then he goes on, he changes gears just a little bit. He says, it is true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. 
Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. You know, it is a strange thing how different times that a a ministry will really blow up, I mean, really go big and uh, a ministry will develop quite a following of people. And then you will start hearing things that, uh, that don't sound you know, very, very good about that. And, or maybe they have a, a stance on one issue that, uh, that you don't agree with. Well, we should be very cautious about just completely dismissing a ministry that truly does you know, preach what really matters, is that there's salvation through Christ Jesus alone. Because you don't know who, how they're, they're helping somebody. All preachers, all Christians are imperfect people. We're, none of us are going to get everything exactly right. One of my missions trips, I was in Poland a number of years ago, visiting with a pastor there. and He asked me about a, an American preacher that was I familiar with him. And I was very familiar with him because he was one that had endured quite a, quite a big scandal. And I didn't have a real high opinion of this this minister, but I said yes, I'm I'm familiar with him. Didn't say a word, and and then he went to tell me how he had heard a message from this this man had come to Poland, preached this message. This man received Christ, turned his life around, studied for the ministry, became a pastor, and is leading people to Christ every week, and so. The gospel is true even if the person telling it doesn't have the right motive. We can't be the judge of that. That is God's business, not ours. So Paul's very gracious here. He goes, yeah, I know some people are out there preaching. Oh, yeah, I can preach out here. I can say this and that, and nobody's putting me in prison. But if they are proclaiming the word of Jesus Christ, if they are planting that seed, if they're sowing that seed, the salvation is available through a relationship with Jesus Christ, then even if the person is imperfect, the message is perfect. The seed is perfect, even if the sower is very imperfect. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ still changes life. So there are preachers that I love to listen to. There are preachers that I don't care to listen to, but I'm very, very cautious about judging someone else's ministry as long as they are teaching the basic message of salvation in Christ. All right, let's keep going. Verse 20, he says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. He's saying there his his expectation is that he's not ever going to change his mind. He's not ever going to change his message. No matter what happens to him, no matter what the future holds, he is still going to proclaim Jesus. He's going to be bold for Christ, whether he's in prison or whether he is in an auditorium preaching to thousands. He wants his life to bring honor to Christ, whether he lives or dies. And then this great statement of faith, he says, For to me, living means living for Christ, 
and dying is even better. What does that mean? He says, as long as I'm here on earth, as long as I'm drawing breath, I am going to be proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to be trying to tell people about salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm going to be making this uh, information available to as many as I can. Even if it means being beaten, if it means being imprisoned, all these things that Paul had already had, had happened to him during this time. And ultimately, he was beheaded, but he said living means living for Christ. There's no other reason for him to live than for Christ, because he is a slave of Christ. He has turned his life over to Christ, and whatever Christ wants to do with it is fine with him. And he said, and dying is even better because we are promised that eternal life with Jesus at the end of this life. And so for him, man, it'd be a lot better than being here in this prison to be with Christ in eternity. That's, wow. I mean, that, that's like all bets are off now. We're just, things are good for eternity. He says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. Then he continues. He says, so I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. But for your sakes. And that sums up Paul's ministry. And it should sum up the life of a Christian. That this is not this life is not about me getting everything that I want. It's not about me having things turn out the way that, that I would like to see them happen. That it's not about if I don't like what's going on here, I'm going to cut out and do something else. No, his attitude is, man, it'd be a lot better for me to go ahead and die and go be in eternal life with Jesus Christ. But for your sakes... Oh, can we live with that attitude that it is for your sake? Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, oh, this is getting real now. I, I know this crucifixion is coming soon in the next few hours. And if there is any other way to get your plan accomplished without this having to happen, now would be a good time to bring it up. But he said, nevertheless, it's not what I want. It's what you want. That's Paul's hope. He says that for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live because as long as he is living, he's going to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then this last couple of verses we're going to talk about today. He says, knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Paul wanted to live, and he wrote several other letters during his time here in prison. He continued to, to minister. He, he was still going to be around for a few more years. He was still going to be helping develop young leaders. This Timothy that he is with becomes a very important character later on in Paul's ministry. And when I come to you again... I don't think Paul ever got to visit Philippi again. But we all know that we will see Jesus. We all will come together at that day when Christ returns. Whether he's coming for us one at a time or he comes for us all at once. 
we can take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through each one of us as we allow ourselves to be slaves of Christ Jesus, focusing on what really matters, understanding and doing the work that really matters. All right, that's it for this week. We'll talk about it more next time. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy my podcast, please subscribe and recommend it to your friends. If you have questions or comments, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram under my name, Randy Whitlow, or you can email me at rbwhitlow at me.com. Until next week, I'm still learning.